Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. that I found out from Fernando is that he, he liked water fountains uh, and that was demonstrated by the, the massive fountain um, that was taller than me uh, in the front yard right in the middle uh, with a big naked lady on it um, and so I was like this is, this is Fernando, this is how I, I'm piecing it together, he had a security camera looking at the water fountain making sure because the boys down the road kept tipping it over uh, so he was protective of his water fountain, he loved black um, and that was Fernando uh, but in piecing together Judas there's a lot of interesting things, like how do we, how do we piece together what Judas looks like? And, and as a kid, uh, in my mind, Judas kind of looked something like this. This was Judas. Um, he kind of had the curly moustache, he was wearing his little top hat, and it was quite obvious that, that Judas was the bad guy, that was, that was Judas. Uh, you could kind of tell from the beginning, uh, but as you kind of start looking uh, deeper in the Gospels, it's kind of different, and, and people try and piece together different things. Um, National Geographic even tried to piece together who Judas was by uh, publishing this English uh, version of a manuscript called The Gospel of Judas, which tried to even say that Judas was actually a good guy all along. Uh, there was this big thing that they kind of released, uh, like a big article about it, and trying to almost say that Judas was actually a good guy, uh, but that turned out to obviously be not true. Um, and as we look uh, to who Judas was and what he looks like, uh, I want to start with uh, what we call the Synoptic Gospels. And so the Synoptic Gospels is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and they're all quite similar. Um, the, in, so they, they share a lot of stories, a lot of them borrowed uh, different material off each other. Uh, and, and as we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, for the Synoptic Gospels, there's, there's these different things that happen. So he's called by Jesus. So Judas was called by Jesus. He was sent out by Jesus, so he went out and, and, and healed people and cast out demons along with all the other disciples. Uh, Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal uh, along the way, and then eventually Judas agrees to betray Jesus, so he, go, so he goes and meets with the, the high priests and, and agrees to betray them in exchange for money. Then eventually he turns Jesus over, and then, Je- and then Judas has remorse for betraying Jesus and ends his life. And that's kind of the general story of, of, they don't really give us much more information than that, there's not really a whole lot of personality or anything, but just these kind of linear events of what Judas does. But then when we turn to the Gospel of John, John adds a little bit more. He kind of he brings in a little bit more, and so as we try and unpack who Judas was, there's some interesting things that we see in the Gospel of John. And so the first thing that we see is in, in John chapter 12. It says, so six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And so Anthony's looked at this one a few weeks ago. But then it says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected and said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. 
And so the first thing we learn is that, that Judas has a problem with greed. He, he, he doesn't care about the poor. He, he, he's extremely concerned with money getting wasted. And, he, and he's greedy. He's keeping money. He's taking money. He's, he's acting out in his greed by doing bad things. The, the second thing that we find about Judas uh, comes in, in John chapter 13, uh, in verse 21, and it says, so after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon uh, Peter mentioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what are you about to do? Do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him, since Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And so the second thing that we learn about Judas is that even though he was greedy, even though he was doing the wrong thing, he wasn't a guy with a top hat curling his curly moustache. He looked like a good guy. He was given the responsibility of the money. When, when, even when Jesus had pointed that Judas was the bad guy, and even as the guy disappeared, no one suspected a thing. He fit in. He looked the part. He looked like a good guy. When he disappeared, people thought it was to go and give money to the poor. They thought he was off to do good things. Yet underlying him was greed. And, and the important thing that we come here when we start is, is the first thing is that greed does not discriminate when it comes to devotion. Because when you think about it, Judas was actually in many ways, he was he, he did more than all of us. He gave up his life to follow Jesus. He was sent out by Jesus and performed miracles and, and, and cast out demons. Who, like, I don't do that. He was doing fancier things than what, than what we could do and, and was more devoted by, by giving up everything to go and follow Jesus. But Judas was still overcome by greed. The other thing is that, that greed does not discriminate when it comes to experience. Because uh, so sometimes we think, oh, because I've been in the church and because I've been a Christian or because I've done this or that, greed couldn't get me. But he'd seen everything. He'd been with Jesus for three years. He, he'd follow Jesus around and, and saw the miracles. He was literally, at that time, he was eating dinner with a guy who had been dead for four days. He was eating dinner in Lazarus's house. If anyone had an excuse to believe in Jesus and, and had reason to believe in Jesus and seen amazing things, it was Judas. If anyone was to know who, who Jesus truly was, yet yeah, Judas still chose money over Jesus. Greed still got the better of Jesus and it's better of Judas. And, and if it can get to Judas, it can get to any one of us. It's not something that, that we can just overcome because we've been in the church for X amount of time or because we uh, have, have done these things or experienced these things. 
Greed is something that hits all of us and is not beyond any of us. Because Judas loved Jesus and he loved money, but money won. And, and I know this, I'm, I'm a youth pastor talking about greed and believe me, this is more uncomfortable for me than it is for you. Uh, it feels like I'm being given control of a plane um, and I don't know how to fly it. But, but I, the, the thing I want to say here is, is in, in talking about greed today, I, I'm not chasing money. I'm not trying to get, get offerings to go up. I'm not trying to get anything. I'm, I'm not chasing money. I'm chasing your hearts. Because what happened for Judas was catastrophic. Because of Judas's greed, it ended him and it, and it destroyed him. And so when we talk about money and we talk about greed today, we're not talking about it because there's some sort of gain. We're talking about it because I care about your heart. I care about seeing you in this race. I care about seeing you make it to the end. I care about you making it to the end of your life and seeing Jesus and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, not I chased money too much and it got the better of me and and now here I am. I'm up the creek like Judas. This is a sermon about chasing your heart and, and making sure that your heart is on track to follow Jesus, about making sure that you are following Jesus and not money. And so this is, this is the tension that we have where we, we love Jesus and we want to follow Jesus, but then money is still here. Like, we still need money. We, we still, you know, we need to make sure people get fed. We need to make sure that we have a roof over our heads. We, we still need to be good stewards and we still need to work. And so how do, we, how do we live in this tension of we need to love Jesus and we need to follow Him? but we also need to, to work and, and live with money. And generally, the, there's kind of two oversimplifications that we have. The first one is that we kind of almost go full acts and we need to be like, all right, we need to sell everything. Everyone's going to put their house in the market this week. We're going to give it all away. Uh, we're going to have no possessions. Uh, we're going to give it all to the poor because uh, money is evil and Jesus is good. That, that's, that's the first oversimplification. And, and I don't think I'm a convincing enough pastor to, to make you do that. Uh, in the first place, but that is kind of the, one of the, imp- like the first kind of oversimplification that we go for. The second one, which is the, the much easier one that we kind of also lean into, is, is the one where we say, we kind of, we kind of know that money is bad, uh, but if I kind of look at the, the whole thing, I don't think my greed, I don't think I could really have that much of a greed problem looking at my life, I think I'm doing a pretty good job, uh, and so I'm not really going to worry about this too much. I think what I'm giving is probably pretty good, uh, could probably be more, but I know I'm giving more than most people, so it's all good. Uh, and we kind of oversimplify in the sense of like, oh, it is, it's probably not a problem at all. And so we kind of lean to one of those things like, greed is such a massive problem, we need to give away everything and go crazy, and then we like, or, or we say that greed is not really a problem at all, don't need to worry about it, it'll be fine. But we need to find a, a balance in the middle, and, and there's two, two things that I want to kind of take that I think were problems for Judas that I want us to take away today that kind of uh, make us assess our greed a little bit more reasonably and without oversimplifying it. The, the first one uh, is that if we, if we look to Judas, we need to make sure our hope is in Jesus alone. See, Jesus try, uh, so Judas tried to place his hope in money and Jesus. 
And Jesus, you know, Matthew 6, he says that you cannot serve two masters, you, you love one and hate the other. Judas tried to serve two masters. And when you have two masters, you have two people telling you to do different things. And when, when you make anything your master apart from Jesus, it is going to tell you to do some crazy things. When you, when you try and make your family your master, you, you live your life going crazy trying to make your family what you think it should be, and it will never be enough. When you, when you try and make love your master, you, you, you just go nuts trying to chase love, and, and you do some crazy things trying to chase love. And when you make money your master, you do crazy things trying to, to, to appease your master and, and, and to get the hope that your master has on offer. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller, he, he looks at um, the idea of, of Jacob. Uh, so I'm not sure if you remember the story of Jacob in the Bible, but, but he has this desperate desire to be loved by his dad. But does his dad love him? No. He loves Esau. Esau is his boy. Esau is the one that he is proud of. Esau is the one that he loves. He doesn't care about Jacob. And God tells Jacob, you need to hang in there, like you, like you have this blessing that's going to be coming and I'm going to look after you, don't worry about what your dad does. But Jacob has this, this massive desire to be loved and blessed by his dad. And so he ignores God. He, he ignores all the consequences that might come and so he, he d- decides to disguise himself as Esau he, he goes to his dad and, and, and fools his dad into thinking that he is Esau and, and gets his blessing. So, so his dad finally says, I love you. I bless you. And all for that blessing, he, it cost him everything because in the end, his dad realized that he had tricked him and so everything was really empty at the end of the day. Esau was furious with him and threatened to kill him and so, so Jacob had to go run away to a different land. He never saw his mom or dad again. He, he didn't actually get the actual physical inheritance because he wasn't there to receive it. He lost everything, all to try and, and chase this thing that he felt he needed to have. He, he, he had this, this goal and, and this, this master that was like, I need my dad to love me. I need love from my father. And it cost him everything. He did some crazy things. He, did, he, he ignored God. He, he hurt his brother and his father, all to get love. And so he flees away to this other land, and so now he's, he's trying to find love in a different place. He goes to, his, uh, to Laban, and he, and he sees this girl called Rachel. Now, Rachel is beautiful, I know this. <laughs> but he sees, he sees Rachel, and he's like, I am going to work for Rachel. I am going, Laban, I'm going to work for seven years to earn Rachel. And back in those days, it was quite customary to, to kind, of, kind of work in order to, um, to kind of re- to receive or to like a, almost like a dowry for, for your spouse. Normally, it was two years. Jehu goes, I'll do seven. So what does he do? He works away for seven years. Seven years of his life, he gives up for Rachel. And what happens when he wakes up? He's got Leah. Leah is not the one. So what does he do? He's like, I'll do another seven. No worries. It's worth it. He gives up everything. He, another... Seven years of working to get Rachel. He, he tries to get Rachel, and does it, does it fix everything? No. 14 years of his life he gives up in order to get Rachel. He's chasing love. He's doing crazy, ridiculous things for love. 
and it causes more trouble than what it's worth. And that's the thing, we, we do crazy things for love. We do crazy things to try and get the thing that we feel like we need. And, and, and our masters promise us things if we do different things and it's never good. And it's the same with money. Jesus spends almost a quarter of his teaching talking about money. A quarter of his teaching. And he wasn't, he wasn't making money off it. He wasn't a rich guy. Judas might have been. But, but Jesus wasn't making a whole lot of money out of this. Yet he spends 25% of his teaching talking about money. Why? Because he knows how much people love money. He knows, like money promises big things. You got problems? Money will solve it. You need, a, you need some sort of like job security or, or financial security? Money will solve that. You need some friends? You can buy them. You know, you need, you need to try and look better? Money will solve that. You want people to respect you more? Get money. Money promises all these big things and if you do all these crazy things, money kind of promises. And so Jesus is saying, I... I don't stop loving money, not because I, I want to get it, but because I care about your heart. Because it promises big things. It, it's a master that promised us the world. If you put hope in money, then everything will come, but it doesn't. It's a bad master, and so Jesus spends a, a big portion of his teaching telling us about it because it is a problem, because it is deceitful, because it is attractive. In, in the story of Jacob, he, he, if we, he's walking through the night at one point and he comes across this man and starts wrestling with him. I'm not sure if you remember this part of the story. And, and it turns out that this man that he's wrestling with is actually God. He's spending this night wrestling with God and God touches his hip. His hip goes out of joint and then he's kind of trying to wrestle wounded without, without a leg. Um, and and uh, eventually, like dawn is coming, like the sun is coming and... and there's this Old Testament kind of knowledge that if you see God's face, what happens? You die. And so, so the man says, like, let me go for dawn is coming. You're about to die, son, if you don't let me go. What does Jacob say? I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm going to hold on to you. I don't care what happens. I don't care what the consequences are. I don't, nothing else matters apart from you blessing me. And I think that's a remarkable image. He's holding on to God and he won't let go until he has God. That's what we're called to do. We're called to hold on to God, to put everything in God, to hope in God. Despite what it looks like, despite what the consequences are. And for Judas, that was the problem. Things start to get a little dicey. So you have a backup plan. You, you have, you know, like, it's like, all right, Jesus, you look like you got things pretty sorted. Um, the whole salvation thing looks really good, looking forward to that. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that want to kill you, and they might want to kill me too, so I'm going to have a backup plan. Uh, and so who, what's his hope actually in? It's in money. He, he kind of has Jesus on the forefront here, but the, the bottom line is really like the backup plan. Like your, your hope is always in the backup plan. 
uh, Judas's hope wasn't really in Jesus, it was in money. He's not holding to God regardless of what things look like. He's not holding to God regardless of whether life or death. And so when things get hard, he, he goes and sells Jesus out, makes a little bit of money to give himself a little bit of money to kind of run away with and make a, make a way, gets himself out of trouble. Because that was his bottom line. That was where his hope really was. And, and so we need to be people who put our hope wholly in Jesus. We put our hope in the fact that Jesus died for us, which means regardless of what happens, we know that we are perfect before God. We put our hope in the resurrection that that no matter what happens, Jesus is now alive and our advocate. He's the one that says, that person over there, they are mine. We put our hope in the fact that because we belong to God, nothing else matters. Our identity is wholly in God. It doesn't matter how great or, or, or how little we are. It doesn't matter how much money or how little money we have. It doesn't matter what kind of circumstances we are. And our hope is in God and who He says we are, in what He promises, and we put our hope in that. And we hold to God, no matter what. We hold to God, no matter what. The second thing uh, that we learn from Judas is that that when we hold on to money, it becomes the thing we, we love. And so generosity is, is actually what forsakes greed. Because we, we don't let go of the thing that we love. Judas was furious when money was squandered on perfume, on Jesus. Because he can't handle losing the thing that he was holding on to and the thing that he loved. And so the way that we forsake the love of money, the way that we forsake holding on to this thing that is not good, is that we have generosity. It is generosity that forsakes greed. Because you don't choose to part easily with something that you love. The, the richest guy I know, and, and he's quite rich, he buys second-hand bikes for his children and he shops at the op shop because he loves money. He's holding on to that money. We, we hold on to that, and so the way that we counter that, the way that we ensure that we forsake greed and we get rid of greed is we give generously, because our generosity forsakes greed. That's how we fight greed. We give generously. The rich young man, he didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to let go. There's a story of the man who sells everything he has to get the pearl because he, all he wanted was to hold on to that pearl. Nothing else mattered. It didn't matter that he didn't have any clothes anymore because he had the pearl. He held tight to the pearl. Jacob held tight to, to God. Nothing else mattered. And we let go of the things that we might be tempted to hold on to and so we give generously. Uh, Our generosity is the way that we fight our greed and forsake our greed. And so I'll finish with just a couple applications. Um, And and so, because the thing is, Jesus doesn't need our money, um, but our hearts need to give. Like God does, like it's not, it's not like the, God is like, oh man, like tithes are down. Not sure how we're going to do this thing, Jesus. Like it's not, that's, like we need to give for our hearts. And so there's a few applications. Um, the first one is, 
um, give as if things aren't yours. Because sometimes we, we give and we still are trying to kind of hold on to it. And, and so sometimes we might give and, and it's like you're kind of giving, hoping that that giving kind of buys you a bit of control and a bit of say. And, and really, you're not giving, you're trying to buy control of something. And so we need to make sure that it's really important that when we give, we give as if the money isn't ours. We still be good stewards and, and we, we care about where our money goes, but give as if the money isn't yours. Give, give as if the money was never yours. We give generously as if it is never ours. The, the second thing is, is that um, make the habit of giving early. Quite often we, we fall into the habit of kind of setting ourselves goals before we are generous. And I know what that's like because going through uni, um, it, was, it was a long time and there wasn't a lot of money that I was earning and, and giving is hard when you're already buying two-minute noodles for your meals. But, but quite often be like, all right, when I finish uni and I've got a full-time job, then I'll start giving. But then you've got a home loan. So you're like, all right, God, I'm going to pay off the house. I'm going to have even more money to give. It's going to be fine down the track. You know, you, then you, you pay off the house and things are looking good. It's like, all right, God, I'm going to buy an investment property. And when I get this investment property paid off, God, you're going to get so much money. But, and it keeps going. You find excuses to kind of continue to, to put off the, the giving because we're kind of like trying to be, um, we over, it's kind of spiritualize the stewardship of things. But we need to, I encourage you guys to give even, even when things are tight, even when things, give early. Because it, it is not a, it's not just about stewardship. It's not just so, you know, you can, like, God, I can give you 100 grand in 10 years or I can give you five bucks now. It's not, it's not about that. It's about your heart. It's about forsaking greed and it's about not ending up like Judas. Give generously now, even when you can. Give generously early. The last thing I want to leave you with is, is model generosity to your children. And I say that because I, like, as a youth pastor, I care about your kids and I care about your kids' hearts too. And so model general, like you, no one can disciple and care for your kids like you can. No one can teach your kids, like I, I get them for like an hour a week and, and most of the time I'm just trying to chase them down and stop them from killing each other. It's like you, like you have a long time with your kids and you have a lot of things that you can bring into your kids. So teach them generosity. Teach them how to look after their hearts. Show them how to be generous. Find ways to demonstrate what generosity looks like. Find ways how to, how to, to instill generosity in them so that you look after their hearts too. How about we pray? Uh, Father God, we, we thank you that, that you love us and that you care for us and we thank you for your son. We, we thank you that despite everything and despite the fact that often we fail, Often we do love things that aren't you, that you still chose to send your son to die for us. Lord, help us to protect our hearts. Help us to look after ourselves. Help us to stay focused on you. Help us to hold tight to you and to forsake all other idols. Help us to be generous givers. Help us to just to steward our money, but also to give freely. Help us to not listen to the lies that money gives and the, the false hope that money gives, but help us to be people that cling to you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.